this is the splash zone down here. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any watermelons though. We, we should do that at some point in time. Just smash watermelons just for fun. Drop them from somewhere. Or we could do uh, Will It Float. Anyone remember that? Will It Float, David Letterman? Oh, yeah. Anyone see that? Will It Float? No? Yeah. Will It Float. <laughs> Velcro wall, that would be kind of fun, too. <laughs> well, uh, good morning, welcome, glad you're here. Uh, we're recording this, so we'll put it up online for all those who weren't as brave as you this morning to come out and... The, uh, yeah, you got a jab at the people who aren't here. Come through the treacherous conditions to get here. We're not stopping, we're not gonna take any week off during this series because we have to get through this series. It's all laid out so that we finish right before Easter. So we, gotta, we gotta just gotta plow through. So, I mean, if I'm the only one here, we're still gonna, <laughs> still gonna go, we'll record it, you can listen online. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. That was. So uh, anyway, we're continuing on in 1 John. If you have your phones, pull them out and open up to 1 John chapter 1. We've got a lot of territory to cover this morning, which is one reason we didn't cancel service because there's just too much to make up in other weeks. So um, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, all the way through chapter 2, verse 6. Remember last week we talked, by the way, I didn't gain this much weight over Christmas. I'm standing over a heating vent, so. Here, I'll tuck my shirt in a little bit so it's not too distracting. All right. (laughs) Didn't get much smaller, did I? All right, so uh, chapter one, remember last week we kind of introduced it, this is Papa John talking, he's, he's up in his 90s, he's an old guy, he's talking to the church, he's confronting the is- issue of Gnosticism and he wants to make sure that people are believing the right gospel, not, not searching for something else, not going after something and he spent a lot of time in the first four verses talking about how Jesus was somebody he had actually seen, he had heard, he had touched, he had walked with, he knew Jesus well and he wanted to make sure that people knew that before he got into his message. And in verse five, we're gonna pick up on that idea and he's gonna start getting in now to the purpose and to the, to the theme of this book. He's gonna start breaking out why he's writing. So this, this first verse we hear that, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So here John is saying, so he's kinda, of, he's capping off those first four verses of the letters. This is the message we have heard. Remember, he heard Jesus say these words and now he's taking that message and he's proclaiming it to people that are reading the letter and to the churches that this letter will be passed around to. So verse five says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. I'm gonna go all the way through the passage and we'll come back and start breaking it down verse by verse. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We're using the ESV throughout this series, so if you want to, uh, if you want to pull up the ESV version on your phone, you'll be on the same version we have. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I wanna stop here because a lot of times throughout this book you'll hear, you'll hear John use that phrase, children, my little children, beloved children or beloved. The, you know, he's gonna use that and that'll kinda of be a key that he's gonna start a, a new thought, he's gonna kinda of make a transition here. So look for that phrase throughout this book as we study it, my little children, beloved children, loved children, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How do we come to know him? If we keep his commandments. That's how, that's the proof that we have come to know him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he, Christ, walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you for the snow, for the symbol that it represents to us that though our sins were as scarlet, we are washed white as snow when we're washed in the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. I thank you that that we get that picture, we get that visual. I thank you how, how uh, you have cleansed me from my unrighteousness and how you've washed over my sin and covered my sin with the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for your word that we get to study together, that we get to read together, we get to learn together and follow together. Father, I pray that you would bury this truth in our hearts throughout this morning and throughout this week and that we would not only hear and gain knowledge, but that we would hear and gain the ability to walk more like you in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. I don't know if you've ever worked for somebody who uh, took advantage of their power, but I have. And I know, I know what it feels like th- to work for somebody who, who does things uh, just because they have power to do things. Uh, I'm not going, not going to mention any names. I'm going to talk about any of the places that I work, so I don't want to give you any hint to, to who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about or anything. But, but I have worked for people who, who kind of created a set of rules that everyone under them were supposed to live by and work by, but then they themselves operated kind of up here on a different set of rules. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like they say, well, you have to do this, but I'm going, I'm going to do this. So you have to, you, you, you have to, let's pick an example. You know, you, you get to go to this restaurant, you have to go to this restaurant, but I, I'm going to go over here to this nicer restaurant. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe you've experienced that, or, or if you've worked at a, at a, at a job and the, you, know, you get, you get a, a break at, you know, a 15 minute break in the morning, but I, I get a half an hour break, or I can take a break whenever, I can get up and walk around and do whatever I want whenever I want, but you have to work this set amount of time. This is kind of, this is the image that we're used to when it comes to, at least a lot of us have probably experienced that, or maybe you experienced a parent who kind of had one set of rules for you, and then they had a different set of rules for themselves. You know, they would tell you, you have to live this way, you have to do these certain things, but then you see them doing and living in a different way. So we're used to, you know, the inconsistencies, we're used to the idea that, that people who have power, people who rule over people, people who kind of sit in these thrones over others have a different set of rules that they operate by and they do things 
that seem corrupt. God is light and him is no darkness at all. It's hard for us to imagine because of that situation, because this is the life that we know, these are the people that we've worked with, it's hard for us then to imagine that there is a God who is not corrupt, who does not take power and abuse it and treat and mistreat people however he wants. God is light and him there is no darkness at all. So, just like we struggle to understand things like eternity, we struggle to understand things like uh, God being sovereign. We understand like, that God has all a knowledge of everything, that there was no beginning to God and there is no end to God. We, we have a, a struggle to understand that. I think we also struggle to understand what it means that God is completely holy. There is nothing about God that is unholy. See, we, we have parts of our lives, we have aspects of our lives, even though we may have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we, we still have aspects of unholiness in our lives, so it's hard for us then to comprehend, to think about, and understand that God is completely holy. But God is completely holy. In God, there is no darkness at all. But we're all familiar with the fact that there's darkness in people, and we know too well that there's corruption that creeps in when you have too much power and that people like to use their power to manipulate others and to control people just for the fun of it, just because they can or because they're insecure. So when we think of God then, it's hard for us to impose our faulty, fallen presumptions on him. We do that just by nature. Remember, we've talked about in the past, a lot of our frustration with God comes because we are using our faulty, fallen, broken definition of how things are and trying to understand God in light of that when that's not how God works. God was never fallen. God was never broken. God has never been corrupted. God has always been perfect just as he is perfect now. So when we're disappointed with God, it's because we have a wrong view. We have a wrong definition of God, not because God has disappointed us. It's because we're putting an expectation on him that does not meet who God is. But he's perfectly and completely holy. Perfectly holy. So there's no corruption in God. There's no brokenness. There's no fallenness. There are no dark parts of God. Everything is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Verse six. So if we say then we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here's a key word that's going to come up several times throughout the book of 1 John. I think it's five or eight times that John uses the word truth. But then he uses the word truth about 20 times in his gospel. So truth is a big concept when you're reading through the book of John. You need to pay attention when John mentions truth. We also have to understand that truth is not just talking about an intellectual idea, that when we, when we come into fellowship with God, we're not just coming into a knowledge of truth, but we actually become truth. We're gonna get into that in just a little bit. Because God is perfectly holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. Now, uh, God, is, God is holy, if you are perfectly holy, then sin comes in. Anytime there's any ounce of sin, it corrupts that holiness. So God cannot be in the presence of sin. So if we're going to be in God's presence, if we're going to walk with God, then we too must be perfect and without sin. Even though fellowship with God is a gift that's available to us, if we continue to walk in darkness, we're living a lie. A lie is the opposite of the truth. So let's read that verse again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. God is perfectly holy, remember this, he's perfectly holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. 
So we have to be perfectly holy. We have to be perfectly without sin if we're going to be in God's presence. Seems a little bit overwhelming, right? How can I be perfectly, I can't possibly be perfectly holy. Fortunately, now, the burden of perfection is not on me, it's not on my shoulders. The burden of perfection was on Christ. If it was on me, I would always be unworthy. But because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, we can have fellowship with God. Wait a second. I think I read that verse wrong, right? Okay, so if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. No, it says we have fellowship with one another. Hmm. That's interesting. What does walking in the light have to do with fellowship with one another? The natural thought would be to go, okay, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we want to be in the presence of God. God is, per- God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. We have sin, so we need to be covered in the righteousness of, of Christ so that we can be in the presence of God. So now we're covered in the righteousness of Christ. The, the logical conclusion would be by being covered in the righteousness of Christ, we have fellowship with God. But that's not what John says. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. See, I think one of the points that, that John is making, and he's going to get to this a little bit more, is that our sin doesn't just separate us from God. Our sin separates us from true fellowship with one another. Our sin, our darkness, our brokenness, our fallenness keeps us from having true, intimate fellowship with others. So if we're going to have true fellowship, not just fellowship with God, but fellowship with one another, we have to understand what it means to walk in the light, to be in the light as he is in the light. Verse eight, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. So there's that word again, truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What does this phrase mean, the truth is not in us? Think about it for a second if you're familiar with this word truth and John's teaching on truth. What might come to mind? The spirit of truth, that's what came to mind first for me when I was thinking through it, that, that Jesus was talking, and this is in the Gospel of John, Jesus was talking, and when he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming, he's saying that he's gonna send the spirit of truth. So maybe, maybe it's a reference to the fact that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the spirit of truth is not in us, but why wouldn't he use the word spirit of truth? Maybe there's an illusion there. But look at this, John chapter four, verse 23. We're gonna be through this whole series, going back and forth between John, the gospel of John, and the book of John, because I wanna make sure we're tying together cohesive thoughts, using all the, all the sources that we can, and making sure that we're understanding what John is actually saying. So John chapter four, Verse 23, if you want to go there, Jesus is talking, John records it, but an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So prior to Jesus coming, the people who worship, those who worshiped would would worship in what I would describe you know, as something wrapped up in pretense, presentation, and performance. There was a pretense to their worship. There, there was a 
performance to their worship. There was a presentation. They were making a presentation. Basically, the worship had become something that was primarily, if not entirely, external. It was for external show. It was for, for presenting something on the outward. And then Jesus refers to this, how, how, the, how you Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you are presented as this way, but on the inside, you're dark and nasty and full of dead bones and dead bodies. That's a pretty straightforward comment. So Jesus comes and worship was now going to change from being this outward expression, this outward presentation, this performance, this pretense, to becoming something based in sincerity and honesty. Not just honesty, we're gonna get into that a little bit, but truth. So it's not a show anymore, it's not just a show. So when you come to church on a Sunday morning, when you're living a life of worship, it's not just done as a performance for a show so that others see it, but it's done as something that is birthed out of an internal desire, a sincerity, and an honesty. It's an expression of an internal change. So we're worshiping God in spirit. So God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. So we're not just worshiping when we come together and worship with our physical bodies. So even though we respond by raising our hands and by clapping and by doing other things, you know, some of you may like to dance, but we don't seem to have much of that here, but you know, it's not, just a, it's not just a physical expression of our worship, but it's an internal, it's birthed out of an internal desire to want to respond to God and worship. It's our spirit, it's our entire being. Our spirit is what is driving the physical response. We are not just doing a physical response because we think that's what's required. Our spirit is driving this, this response. But we're also worshiping in truth. Now we talked about at the beginning, truth is, an, you know, truth is, An idea is true, but at the same time, John uses the word truth to describe Jesus. In the beginning of the book of John, he says uh, that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And we'll see John refer to Jesus as truth throughout his gospel. So what does that mean then, that we worship the Father in spirit and truth, and why is truth such a big deal? Well, we've talked before about how truth is important because what's true is always true. Truth never changes. So two plus two is always four. It's always going to be four. It never changes. Truth is true. God designed the operating system of the world. God created how everything works and operates. That's always going to be the way that it works. It's never going to change. We can try to change it, but we will be unsuccessful because that's not the way God designed things to work. But truth also goes to a renewed nature. When we, were, when we were first created, Adam and Eve were created in the garden. They had this fellowship with God and then they decided to disobey God and so they ate from the apple and then everything then became about pretense, it became about show. They immediately covered themselves up. They, they felt embarrassed at what they had done. They wanted to hide from God. When God came after they had eaten in the garden, he was calling out, Adam, where are you? Adam and Eve were hiding from God. Now truth, they were truth had been hidden, truth had been covered in fallenness, broken. So then, if we are worshiping God out of our broken, fallen nature, then we are still presenting something that we're hoping will gain God's approval. We're presenting something that we think that we think will please God, and that's not the idea anymore of worship. True worship is worshiping in spirit and truth. It's not just something we do for our own benefit or something that we pervert for our own pleasure. John chapter eight, verse 44, says you are of your father the devil, talking to the Pharisees, spiritual leaders, and you want to uh, do the desires of your father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is a liar and the father of lies. It is in his nature to lie, to do the opposite of the truth. Verse 45, Jesus is talking about himself now. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? So Satan's nature is lies, the opposite of truth. Jesus' nature is truth. (coughs) But listen to this. He's talking not just about the ideas of truth, but he's talking about the nature. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So not only does he speak lies, but his nature is a lie. But Jesus comes and his nature is the opposite. His nature is not a lie, his nature is the truth. But because we are in the lies, we are in the fallen, we're in the broken, we don't believe Jesus. We don't understand Jesus because he is speaking the truth, which is the opposite of what we have understood until Jesus comes into our life. So when we worship in spirit and truth through the blood of Jesus, we are able to worship in spirit and truth. Listen, it is Jesus' righteousness that covers us that enables us to worship in spirit and truth. We are given a a new spirit, a new body, or a new body is later, a new life, a new mentality, a new man. The old man is gone, the new has come. So we have this new nature that is now born out of truth instead of lie. We have this new nature that is based on what is true as opposed to what is false. So when we're worshiping, we should be worshiping out of this new nature, which isn't based on pretense and performance. It's based in sincerity and honesty. It's based on we have been made new. We want to worship God out of a response with that. So if we're going to have fellowship with God, we can't still be ruled by our old natures. If we're gonna have true fellowship with God, then, then the old really has to be dead. The old really has to be done away with, it has to be put to death, and we have to be raised up to new life in Christ. So we don't get to take advantage of grace and use it as an excuse to live and do whatever we want. That's, that was popular in, in what John was writing to when he was writing this letter, it's popular in our day. We like to use grace as an excuse to do whatever we want. We can live however we want, we can be whoever we want because we have grace, and so no matter what I do, I'm going to be forgiven. That's not truth. That's old nature living, taking advantage of grace so that we can live however we want. That's not a truth, that's not sincere, that's not honest. That's being driven by our old man. The new spirit of truth would say, okay, we need to put this thing aside. We need to put this dead man aside and live out this new life. We need to live out this new nature. We need to live in accordance with what God has done for us through Christ, not what we were born into. So in the same, say, in the same way, if we say we're perfect and without sin, we're lying and the truth is not in us either. So we don't want to take advantage of grace to live however we want, but at the same time, we don't want to say that we're perfect and without sin, because we aren't. We still have this fallen body. We still have these fallen, uh, this fallen world that we live in. We're surrounded by fallen things, and so there's a lot of fallen, like Rob talked about when he preached uh, not that long ago. To, there's, you know, just because uh, there's the, the sin, what do you, was it a bear? The bear that pokes us, something comes along and pokes us, and... The dead body pokes us and tries to drag us along. You poke a dead body and 
Right. So th- we don't have to respond to the death. No, because you're dead to sin and alive. Right. So when sin comes by and pokes you, you're dead. So why would you respond? Yeah, so the dead body has, has, should have no control over us, but yet we're still not, our bodies are not fully redeemed like they will be. I don't want to get into that too much because it's a little bit complex. But we do not have to live according to the old nature. We have a new nature. But if we say that we are perfect and without sin, then we're, we're deceiving ourselves. This is what uh, verse 8 is saying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we could have been perfect, if we could be perfect on our own, there's no reason for Jesus to die. There's no reason for Jesus to come. There's no reason for his sacrifice. If we could be perfect, Jesus wouldn't be the only way to the Father because we could get to the Father on our own, so Jesus wouldn't be the only way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus himself would have been speaking a lie. He would have been speaking a falsehood, so that can't be true. So we are, not, we are neither to use grace as an excuse to live however we want. We are not also perfect and without the need for grace. So the same spirit of performance and pretense is the spirit that keeps us from enjoying true fellowship with one another. We don't build relationships by trying to perform up to a certain caliber and to impress people that we have this perfect life put together. We don't try to live up and and put up a show that we are something that we're not. We're not going to build true relationships that way. We build relationships by laying those things down and pursuing one another with our renewed spirits, with the motive of what's best for the other person and how can we serve one another. So just like our worship with our worship of God is based on spirit and in truth, it's based in sincerity, something that's coming out from the inside of us that we want to express externally. The, the way we build fellowship and relationships with one another, the way we're friends with God is the same way we're going to be friends with one another. It's by serving. It's, by, it's birthed out of a sincere desire from inside of us that wants to care for and love one another. Verse, five, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What does it mean to confess our sins? Does it mean we just confess our sins to anyone who will listen? We just walk around telling everyone all of the sins and our deepest, darkest secrets. I don't think that's quite the idea. Um, If you've ever confessed sin, uh, and had someone then use that confession as an excuse to go then and do the same thing, you know what I'm talking about. There has to be a certain amount of wisdom that we use in confessing our sins. Do we confess our sins to trusted people? Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I think we should confess our sins to trusted people. And I think that's important, but I don't think that's the entire idea of what John is getting at here. I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's the whole thing. And we need to go in and, and define confess. We need to see what, what confess means if we're gonna have a good understanding because I think there's a, a, a bigger idea that fits better in context with this whole passage if we'll look for it. So uh, I did what, what I've told you to do. I went to BibleStudyTools.com and they have the concordance. You can use the Strong's numbers. You can click on the word. So I clicked on the word confess and, and you have to use the NASB. So you go to BibleStudyTools.com. You type in your passage. You use the NASB, New American Standard. 
version, and then, and then it'll give you these little links. You can click on some of the words, and it'll take you to the definition. So I did that. I went and got the Strong's definition, the, the definition in the Hebrew of what the word confess means. So the primary definition of the word is to say the same thing as another to agree with. That's the number one definition of the word, to say the same thing as another, to agree with. The next definitions involve the idea to concede, uh, to not refuse, and to not deny. So we're, we're conceding, or we're not refusing, or we're not denying, or the, actually one of the definitions way down on another list of the de- definitions says, says to declare that you are a, a worshiper of yourself. That's in the definition of this idea of confess to declare that you are a worshiper of yourself. So if we apply that idea, if we take the word confess and we apply the idea of confess with this definition, conceding, to not deny, to not refuse, to say the same thing as another, to agree with, how do we then, what, how does that affect our understanding of this word? If we confess our sins, we're, It's not just saying that we need to come and confess our sins to one another, but I think it's saying we confess, we concede, we agree that we sin. I'm a sinner. We confess that we are sins, and I think this is consistent with the rest of the passage. So verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we concede that we're sinners, if we confess our sins, if we don't refuse that we have sins, if we don't deny that we have sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So instead of trying to pretend that we're perfect and have everything put together, we must concede, we must agree with the fact that we have sinned, we have fallen, we are broken, we need redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now if we're not willing to concede this fact, then what? Then we're liars and the word is not in us. So we're liars, we're living out the old nature, we're living out the nature of the father of lies, instead of we're living out this new nature, the spirit of truth. But that's not it. See, John doesn't just say that. We're not just liars ourselves, but what happens is we make God out to be a liar. If we think that we're perfect and we're able to live this perfect life, then we're not just lying ourselves. We're making God out to be a liar. He's made it clear that we're sinners. If we don't concede to this fact, if we deny this truth, then we're making God out to be a liar and we're saying that we're smarter than God, we know more than God. God's truth is not the real truth, it is my truth. Jesus, when he said he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, was lying. The whole thing of Jesus Christ was a lie. I am not a sinner, I can get to God on my own. We're not just lying ourselves, we're making God a liar. But if we can see this fact, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that concession then leads to our spirits being renewed. It leads to a rebirth. It leads to a new life. And we start learning the language of truth by the spirit of truth within us. We start to learn the second language. It's like my parents who were missionaries, and if you know anyone who's been missionaries, they go to language school for about a year, and as they're, as they're going from the English culture into, they were going to Brazil, so they were going into the Portuguese culture, so they had to learn, they spent a year learning Portuguese, and so they then went into Brazil and spoke Portuguese, and that, was, that had to become their primary tongue, and they thought they were real smart and clever when they would talk in Portuguese because we couldn't understand them. So, you know, you, you talk about, you think your parents, you know, whispering back and forth. Well, they would just talk right in front of us. They would just speak in Portuguese, and so we didn't know. 
But then in, in high school, we learned Spanish, and Spanish is the sister language of Portuguese, so they would, mom would say something in, uh, in Portuguese, and I wouldn't entirely understand, but I could start to kind of pick out the bits and pieces of what she was saying. I could get the gist of the idea because I had started to learn a, a language that was close to what they were speaking, and it's the same way with us. You know, as we, as we drop this old language, we pick up the new language. As we drop the language of lying and deceit, we pick up the language of truth. As we drop the spirit of lying, and to see we pick up the spirit of truth and now our spirits and our, our lives are starting to become intertwined with the spirit of truth and we're becoming unwrapped and unentwined and unentangled with the lie, with the fallen nature, with the broken nature. Our spirits are being renewed. We're cleansed from all unrighteousness. The old nature's gone, the new nature of Christ has come and now we are the residence, we are the residing place, we are the house, we're the landing spot for the spirit of truth. So, does this mean then that we're no longer capable of sin? It's a good question. Let's keep reading. <coughs> Chapter two, verse one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Does this mean we're no longer capable of sin? It could be possible that we no longer sin once we receive the spirit of truth. And if we are faithful to, de to deny the pulls and the tugs of the old man, the, the urges of the old man, and speaking the language of the old man, it, we may be able to live then this new nature without sin. But what if we do sin? What if we sin by accident? What if we just have a response that we don't understand and we realize later that that response was sin? Or what if we have a habit that we have just lived our entire lives and that habit then you know, produces sin in us, what happens then? If, if we're truly, you know, free from this, completely free from the burden of this old nature, then it would seem like we would no longer give in ever to this old nature, but sometimes we do. What do we do if we sin? This is, this is great news. Remember, God is holy, God is perfectly holy, he is light, in him there is no darkness at all, he cannot be in the presence of sin. So we have been filled with the spirit of truth, but what if we then, what if we sin? What happens? We can't be in God's presence anymore. John says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. <coughs> Excuse me. Should we willingly walk into sin? No. But what if we do? Repent, turn away from it, walk in the other direction. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous, who will be our advocate to the Father. He will stand in between us and God's holiness. Jesus is perfectly righteous, so Jesus is always able to be in God's presence. And he stands between us and God, who is light and cannot be in the presence of darkness, and he is our advocate. He is the one representing us to the Father. We have an advocate. You don't have to, prior to your, your faith in Christ, live a perfect life, and afterwards have a perfect life. Should we give in to sin? Should we pursue sin? Should we walk in sin any longer? No, we shouldn't. We should not do those things. But if we do, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the advocate, is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does propitiation, propitiation, I don't know how you say it, propitiation mean? That's a big word. 
And if he is the propitiation for our sins, we ought to know what the word means. Well, it's first means to appease. It means to satisfy. It means that Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God for us. So because we had sinned, we are now, we are now unholy. We are broken. We're, we're fallen. We cannot be in, presence of, in the presence of God, and God has a standard we're supposed to live up to. We didn't live up to it. Now God has wrath against us because we have not lived up to his standard. So Jesus comes, and he satisfied that wrath that God had for us. So Jesus is the propitiation. that he's, He appeases that wrath. He, he satisfied that wrath. Jesus' death on the cross is the only way for us to avoid God's wrath. But it's not just appeasement to satisfy the wrath. It's the appeasement for the purpose of reconciliation. So Jesus' death on the cross is the only way for us to be reconciled to God. So we have a ministry of reconciliation. This is what we have received. We've received reconciliation. We minister reconciliation to people. The brokenness now can be restored through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He satisfied God's wrath, and now we can be reconciled to God. Our advocate, Jesus, is the one standing between us and God. He's the one who's the propitiation for our sins for all of us. We are not. We no longer are under God's wrath. Chapter two, verse three. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. If you remember from several weeks ago, what is Jesus' commandment? It's to love one another like Jesus loved us. That's the primary command that Jesus gave. When he says he's giving a command, this new command I give to you is this one, that you love one another. Greater love has no man than this and that he lay down his life for his friends. That is Jesus' command. How do we know if we actually love Jesus? How, what's the proof? How do we know if, if the spirit of truth is residing in us? How do we know that, is there any evidence that we can see in our lives that proves that we are in fact in relationship with Jesus, we are in relationship with God? How, is there a proof? Is there evidence? The evidence is if we love one another. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So the honest answer is if you're struggling to love others, there are two things. You may still be struggling to lay down the old nature or you may not have ever truly known Jesus. You may be struggling to hold on to some of the things that you think you want in this life, to the pretense and the perfection and the performance, and so you don't wanna lay that down so you can't really love others, or you just have never really truly met Jesus yet, and so you aren't walking with him, you aren't filled with the spirit of truth. If you claim to know him but you aren't loving others, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Still living under the old nature by the old rules. And when people don't measure up, based on their performance, we're done with them. When people don't measure up, when they don't perform the right way, when they don't have the right external actions, the right pretense, or whatever it is, then we just, well, we're just done because they don't measure up. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. In John, this idea denotes the essential word of God, Jesus Christ, this Word, what does this word, word mean? 
Chapter two, verse five. Whoever, verse five, whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. In John, John's gospel, word denotes the essential word of God, Jesus Christ, the personal wisdom and power in union with God, his minister in creation. So word means the minister in creation and government of the universe, the cause of all the world's life, both physical and ethical, which for the procurement of man's salvation put on human nature and the person of Jesus the Messiah, the second person in the Godhead, and shone forth conspicuously from his words and deeds. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, right? We just celebrated that at Christmas. That's in the book of John. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And I don't want to go too far down this idea, but, but there is, at least in part, the idea of Jesus Christ being born into the human flesh. And so, I'm not saying Jesus was born again. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying Jesus was born again, nor did he need to be born again. But Jesus who was perfect and the word of God put on flesh for us and now we who were born of the flesh get to put on Jesus and his righteousness. There's some beauty in that. There is some majesty in that. Jesus put on flesh and was clothed in flesh for our good, for our benefit and now we who were born of the flesh now get to be clothed in Christ, get to be clothed in the word, we get to be clothed in truth. We put Christ as a new nature for us and we're blessed to get to wear now this righteousness of Jesus Christ. Verse 5b through the end of 6. Is there evidence, is there proof that we have Jesus Christ living in us? By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. By this we know that we are in him. The litmus test, the evidence, the proof, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That word abides ought to trigger some, some memory for you if you're familiar with the book of John. The word abide ought to, just, ought to just kind of stick out and stand out because it harkens back to John chapter 15 and Jesus talking about the vine and the branches and we've talked about this a lot. Jesus, let me read this for you, John chapter 15 verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So here's that word abide over and over again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do, we keep, how do we abide in his love? By keeping his commandments. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that, you, your, that my joy may be complete and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Abide. Abide in his love. By this we know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. So for this morning, the point I think is stop performing, start producing. Stop performing, start producing. Stop performing to receive accolades. Stop performing under the old nature. Stop performing so that you can be you know, registered, register approval with God and instead start producing the fruit of this new nature. Produce the fruit of the new nature. Love one another and walk as Jesus walked. Produce fruit because you're attached to the vine and you're attached to the vine so that you can produce fruit of the new nature. Not fruit of the old nature, not fruit of the old life that we live, not the fruit of what once was us, but this new fruit that now is us, the spirit of truth. Our, our father is no longer the father of lies. Our father is the father of truth. And so we need to be producing this new nature as our fruit. So stop performing to try to register approval with God. Stop performing so that you can, you know, Press God and get what you can get out of him. Instead, start producing the fruit of this new nature. Start producing the fruit of this new nature. And what is the fruit of the new nature? Loving one another, walking like Jesus walked. Love one another and walk like Jesus walked. This is how we have fellowship with God. This is how we live in the light, not in the darkness. We love one another and we walk like Jesus walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for truth. I thank you for the spirit of truth. I thank you for Jesus, the word of truth, the word made flesh, the word who made his dwelling among us, the word who became flesh so that we might become truth. Father, I pray that as we continue on through this series, as we study through this impactful, this amazing letter that you've given to us. I pray that you would continue to reshape our hearts and our minds into this new nature, that you'd mold us into the new nature and continue to chip away and break off the places that were entangled with the old nature. Reveal to us the places where we are performing to try to earn your approval and instead help us to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, I pray that as we head into this new year that we would be overtaken, we would be overwhelmed, we would be overpowered with your love, with your grace, with your truth, with the entire aspect of what it means to be a Christ follower and that this overwhelming desire that overcomes us and, and, and fuels us and fills us would just take over our entire lives, that it would take over everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we're trying to be, and that this would become our day-to-day -day desire, our day-to-day -day walk, our day-to-day -day burden to want to be like you, to want to love one another and to walk like you walked and in so doing to share the love of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. That a, a world who is bought into the lie, who's believing the lie, who's living out the lie would see the truth lived out in our lives and our collective lives as a community and that they would see the truth and desire it and want to be a part of it and want to walk away from the lie of this world. Father, use us to do things to share that truth with as many people as we possibly can in this year in 2016. And I ask that you would just do 
mighty, amazing, wonderful, miraculous things for your kingdom, for building your kingdom here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.